Welcome back to another episode of the 104 Podcast, a conversation about the Oilers in a healthier way. I'm your co-host, Herman Villegas, and on the other side, you know, Joan Crawford won a blender from scoring win by a goal from Elliot Tanti. Boom. <laughs> Boom. How are you, buddy? Yeah, but I'll never get five because Don <laughs> no. McCullen's in the pocket of big, big grocery and Safeway. <laughs> Sophie, score and win. <laughs> They're not our sponsor. Right? <laughs> Say no, anything about that? Not yet. <laughs> not yet. So, you know where to get. You know where to reach us. One hundred and four pod. One hundred and four. One hundred and four pod. At one hundred and four on Twitter. Pod. How you been? I've been good. I've been good. I'm really well rested. I noticed. <laughs> so that's my uh, way of uh, apologizing to Herman for being an hour and forty five minutes late for the podcast this morning. That's okay, I was enjoying this Oilers game that's going on right now. Uh, it's Colorado versus Edmonton right now. Were you really? Were you really? Not really. I was actually enjoying the slam dunk competition that was going on, and then <laughs> and then uh, enjoying a good beer. So uh, it's all good. It's a long weekend. I get it. I understand, Elliot. I understand naps are important. I totally understand that. Uh, you know what? It's going to happen, though, because to pay me back, you're going to have to do the roundup. All right, I'll do the roundup. Three games this week, Herman. It was uh, a tough week for the Edmonton Oilers. All losses. Um, from bad to worst to worst, you might say, um, as the Oilers really are coming to the point of the season where you recognize all is lost. First game, Edmonton and Florida, uh, a game in which the Oilers could have used a save that lose 7-5. to five. I hilariously joined in in the third period when it was 3-3, three to three, and then turned the game off when they scored two goals in uh, a minute and a half, yep. and then yeah. looked back and I was like, oh my gosh, it's 6-5, maybe I should watch the last minute of this, and then obviously the empty netter. So basically, you can blame me, Edmonton fans, for like, you know, why the Oilers lost. <laughs> you can you can tweet Elliot uh, The game I will not take responsible for, because I stayed the hell away, was the Edmonton-Vegas game. They lost 4-1. to one. I think that was probably a good decision on my point. That was bad. Because um, I think good. you got uh, a taste of that game. And it was And bad. tweeted at me after, and uh, pretty brutal. One game, I think, uh, in the final game, the game that I, I watched the full game of was uh, yesterday, Saturday, afternoon game against Arizona, one nothing lost by our Edmonton Oilers, uh, some controversy in that game that we'll get into in the news and notes section uh, next week. All in all, 0-3. Uh, I think you called it last week. Hashtag, here come the Oilers. Did you call it last week? I did, yeah. It was 0-3. Very, like, I was like, ah, whatever. Not gonna be, I'm going to win one. And it was sort of like what I was thinking, like, uh, Florida's, you know, fighting, so it's going to be hard. You know, this is the game's time of year when good teams beat bad teams, and that was the Vegas story. And then Arizona taking a leave at one nothing Could have either been 1-1, whatever. Yeah, whatever. What's coming next, up? Next week, we've got two games against Colorado, one of which is going on as we're recording right now. So we will give you unnecessary updates of that game throughout the show. It is currently one nothing for Colorado. Imagine <laughs> that. The Oilers fall behind within the first five minutes of the first period. This is funny because you'll know the score right? when you're probably <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's all good. So Colorado-Boston, there's a Boston game in between those two games against Colorado. Uh, that'll be interesting. I think it's always fun when people like Shirelli and, and, and Milan Lucic go back to Boston uh, or, or play against their old team. Those teams have largely changed. Yeah, totally. But it's, you know, 
gives you an excuse to kind of Some of the Charlie engage. people are still there, like Bergeron. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. That, that, that team is very similar. Um, different from Lucic, though. Lucic, this is his second team now since he's left Boston. Right, right. right. Uh, and you know what the team he was before he went to Edmonton? That's the LA Kings, and that's how the Oilers will finish up their Ooh. schedule this week as well. Good one. So, Colorado, Boston, Colorado, LA. Uh, another, you know, tough week. Looks like Colorado's still trying to, to, to try. Um, which is more to be said for the Edmonton Oilers. So two games against them will be a good test. Yeah. Uh, and then a Boston team, a team that we don't get to see a lot of, so that'll be an interesting game. Mm-hmm. And then an L.A. team that has been really uh, done against the Oilers. Against the Oilers. So yeah. another tough week ahead. If I were going to guess, I yeah, say they pull out a win in Boston, but they lose both Colorado games and L.A. One and three this week. What about you? Ooh, I'm going to go two and two. I'm going to say that they, they beat L.A. for some reason. And they'll beat Colorado once, one of their games, and they'll lose both to Boston and Colorado. That's my guess. All right. That's a, well, let's, well, let's make a prop bet about that. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come back for our best and challenging. From the games that we saw, uh, or from what we saw of the Oilers in this week, uh, let's find out who were our successes and challenges. Let's start with this. Let's start positive. All right. Elliot, who was a successful person for you on these last this last week? The person I think had the most successes this week was Connor McDavid. And I am hesitant to You're normal... using your McDavid slot. Yeah, I'm using my <laughs> McDavid slot. I'm usually really hesitant to, to point to him, although he is always... He generally is sort of always the best player. Um, I think, you know, he still has that capacity to do something insane mm-hmm. every period, um, which is exciting and fun for the fans and, and, and worthwhile. But you also see, I feel like he's the only guy on the team that hasn't given up on the season yet, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's a bit of a strong No, 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 no. I think, I think you're I, right about I think that. he'd be disappointed. But, um, you know, he, he, seem, he continues to be the guy who we expected him to be through the second half of the season, which is the guy that puts the team on his shoulders and carries them up the, the mountain game in and game out. And... Um, He's continuing to do that. They're not having the success, of course, the team would like. But he right. is, you know, he's. I think he's growing into a, like. A, I think he's showing his chops as a leader right now, uh, which I really appreciate as a fan. Mm-hmm. He's not going to give up until they're mathematically eliminated, uh, and that's what your captain needs to do. I think. How do you see that? How do you how do you know that he is not giving up as a as a player or as a. Or even as a person for this season, what, I mean, do, what do you see? I, I mean, I don't know the guy. I, I, I can't say yeah, for certain. I'm, I'm what am I seeing? As, as a but fan. what I'm seeing is yeah. that every time he's on the ice, every time that he is uh, touching the puck, he has uh, one goal in mind, and that is to score, and he, that is to drive play and, and drive his line. And I think when you do that as a player and as a leader, um, it necessitates that the rest of the team try to keep up with you whoever's playing with you at that time, your defenseman or right. your line mates, right? Right. And I, the other thing that I really like about that is that when players are playing poorly, and we'll talk about some of the guys mm-hmm. that have had challenges later on, um, it allows the coach to have a carrot and stick sort of uh, mentality with the team. Yeah. So we saw players being dropped from Connor McDavid's line and other players yeah. being elevated. I'm thinking namely of Slapashev this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's happened quite a bit lately. Mm-hmm. By yeah. The way. Um, so I think 
that is that's important, and, and that's what I really appreciate out of that leadership style and what comes with that. So that, that's my take. What about you? Who, 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 did that, who did you see having a lot of success this week? Actually, I it was funny because at the start of the week, I would have put this person as my challenging, but he really kind of picked it up. Uh, it was Cam Talbot. Cam Talbot's been playing a lot lately, and uh, you know, um, he I think he let up some some bad goals against Florida. Um, but the then, Florida game was pretty tough. Was pretty tough, and the Vegas game was pretty tough for him too. But he was—he was also bombarded. Yeah, exactly. He was bombarded with a lot of uh, shots and attempts, and uh, just plays where the Oilers' defense just—I don't know what happened. Like they gave up a lot of on-man rushes, and they gave up a lot of space, especially to that fast Vegas team. Um, and the Arizona game, he was—he's the only reason that game wasn't like five nothing. Um, there was at least six chances where um, Cam Talbot stopped them cold, and uh, you know he let in that that goal by uh, Christian Dvorak, and it was a really—I don't know—it was—it was—it was an unlucky bounce that he got, and uh, I think I don't think he had any choices to like stopping that goal, but. It was it it was a tough game for Talbot, and you know he was he was battling that whole time, and he was battling against Vegas, yeah. and I, and like you mentioned, like that he was one of those people that I didn't really realize he he's not giving up on the season yet, and he's not giving up as a player, and you can tell it in his body language. I think I, I really see a guy in Talbot. We're gonna talk a little bit later about some of mm-hmm. his uh, comments, but he seems like the kind of guy uh, that would take a lot of responsibility for the season. Um, yeah, totally. W- whether that's deserved or not is Good another question. Yeah. Um, but you really see, and I noticed it particularly in the last game against Arizona. Like the other obviously lost that one nothing, um, and he got beat on the first shot of the game in a weird play, mm-hmm. and then just stepped it up mm-hmm. for basically the next fifty-seven minutes, and it made. Sh- he's the reason why it was only one nothing. Yep, totally. He was outstanding in that. And uh, you know shades of last year. Yep. Um, but really, great, was really Oilers giving up year. great A chances, like really recognizable great A chances, and uh, and Talbot coming through with a save when we needed it or when we didn't need it. So I really think that that's important uh, to, that you recognize that, and and it's disappointing that this is probably the first week of the season where there's some validity to giving him the player with the most successes on the team. Yes, totally, totally. And it sucks that it's coming now. Like, I mean, I wish this would have been happening before. But I feel like Calum Tablet is not a specific reason as to why this team is as bad as they are. Um, I think he he can take a, some like some responsibility for it. But at the same time, like, the amount of chances that uh, these old, this Oilers team allows uh, of opportunities allows that they allow is 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 ridiculous, and it's you know, and, it, and you can totally tell this week that that Talbot was really battling, really battling. So absolutely. So I'm going to give it to Talbot. Who was your most challenged, challenging player to watch? <laughs> so I'm going to go with uh, Nick Kiprios's pick here. Um, Leon Dreisaitl. Agree with Nick Kiprios. <laughs> no, mostly a joke. Mostly a joke. <laughs> um, it's funny. A week after the trade, the talk was, uh, should we trade Leon Dreisaitl? Mm-hmm. And how stupid is Nick Kiprios is saying that? Uh, I thought Dreisaitl put in what was a very pedestrian week, mm. um, given his talents and skills and, and frankly, contract. Um, and I think that 
Exhibit A, you'd have to point to the game against Phoenix yesterday, in which it seemed like every time Drysaddle had the puck, the play died on his stick or got infinitely more difficult Mm -hmm. to deal with uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. His passes were behind, ahead. Um, picked off. Yeah, he had opportunities yeah, to definitely. shoot where he'd pass. He should have. He had opportunities to pass when he should have shot. Yeah, um, it was tough for him for it, sure. It, it, look, it was a rough week. It was a rough week for the team. I don't want to pick on it too hard, but I really noticed um, when we talk about the others being like half a step behind, sort of not ready for games. When we talk about uh, not crisp passes, not not good plays uh, by the entire team. Um, I feel like Drysaddle really accentuates that in a number of different ways. So I think that's why I gave him the player with the most challenges this week. Cool, yeah. I, I totally agree with you about the Drysaddle issues. I, I totally saw that in the Arizona game. I totally saw that in the Vegas game that he was, I don't know, like trying very hard to do something, but at the same time it just, like his decision-making was not there. It's like... You know, a part of it for me is I think, well, yeah, it's he's trying really hard, and that's awesome, and, and that's great. But, you know, the Oilers had seven goals in that game against mm-hmm. Florida, or five goals in that game against Florida. He got one of them on a penalty shot on, you know, a good play, yep. and, and, and that's awesome. Um, but when you need your best players to step up, it can't always be McDavid. Nope. And uh, Drysaddle was, you know, that, that Arizona game was a game Drysaddle had enough chances and opportunities yep. with the puck and to make different plays uh, than he did and uh, that's when you want your that kind of a player to take over and, yeah uh, totally he didn't no he didn't I agree and I, th- and, I mean like, again Drysaddle's still young still young and uh, this I, is not me like Nick Caprio saying like let's trade Dry Saddle. <laughs> no Look, absolutely this is the funny not. thing this is the fun thing about this podcast is that we do this weekly mm-hmm. Last week, you had him as one of your best, and yeah. I was, you know, agreed with that decision. Um, and this week, you know, I had thought he was the player with the most challenges. We'll see what it comes to next week. Yeah, no, totally, totally. That's and that's exactly what happens. You get your ups and downs, and Dreschel, unfortunately, is somebody that you want to be a little bit more consistent um, and to be not thus up and down. But again, young guy, I think he still has a ton of potential, and I think he's, uh, you know, like looking back on that draft, um, it was Aaron Eckblad. Uh, Sam Reinhardt and then Drysaddle. Out of all those three, I feel like Drysaddle is the the best of those three. That's my opinion. I love that you are like a, a draft guy. Like you just like, you, 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 players' value is based on their peers <laughs> through and through. True. <laughs> you know. Anyways, um, for myself, it was a person that has been uh, kind of been dragged lately, and I think deservedly so. And I I. I re- I kind of hesitated putting him on just because I'm, I feel like I'm piling on, but I, it's not really. Uh, it's Milan Lucic. Lucic. Um, he has not been good lately. And you can tell he is now just to a point where he hasn't scored in a long, long, long time. And we supposedly got Lucic to be a, a scorer slash grinder. Um, and he was last year. He was scoring. Um and at the, his normal pace, but now he's just kind of regressed a bit, and uh, he hasn't scored for I don't know, like twenty games. Yeah, there's a couple of players that are kind of on the hop for that too. Uh, Strom's another one. Strom's another one. Um, and that's the product of the Oilers also having a tough season. So True. I don't want to I don't want to point too much on that. However, I think it's um, it very what's emblematic and, and why your your choice is well deserved is that we take we're more likely to take notice when Lucic has a good game than when he has a bad game. Totally. Totally. Uh, because bad games become sort of 
or not a bad game, but just like a nothing night. Yeah. Uh, because that's sort of become the average. Yeah. And for a guy that's supposed to be here for another four years after this season, disappointing and worrying. Exactly. I totally agree. And I think that's like, um, you can tell in the Vegas game that he was just not there for it. Not there for it. And uh, the Arizona game, he had some chances. But at the same time, like, I I just didn't see that, that, that kind of, like, like, like we said with Drysaddle, like that decision making, like that that positive decision making to make those plays, and that that decision making to actually uh, try something a little bit smarter, a little bit better. And uh, he, I can tell in his mind that he's like he just wants to get that goal. He just wants to get that goal. And I feel once he gets that goal or two, that his mind is going to be a little bit out of it. Like it may it may, may relax him a bit, but right now he's not relaxed, and you can tell. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also one of those things, though, Herman. This is part of a bigger conversation with Milan Lucic where he's always playing his best when he's being physical, when he's being aggressive, when he's getting hits Mm -hmm. and and, and battling in front of the net. And I just hope that there's still a willingness to do that. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I think think Milan Lucic definitely has, but I think he needs to bring something a little bit more, especially in these early parts of this contract. Uh, where the Oilers are really depending. Well, on yeah, him. that's part of a larger conversation around that Lucic contract because yeah. the idea was the first three years were probably going to be the value mm-hmm. of, the, of him, and uh, the the back three were going to be problematic. And exactly, that's exactly. what you paid to get him in the room. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Yesterday, in in between the first and second period, he went on a profanity laced tirade against the Edmonton Oilers after the first period in Arizona. Yeah. And they announced it the only because Sportsnet accidentally had a camera there or something like that and caught a big part of it as he was going off on the team. Um, you know what? It's, it's good. And though, so I think there is like a leadership that, right? side. He needs yeah. to do that as well, too. But I think it's uh, it, it, it's part of a larger conversation around Milan Leach. It's a summer topic, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Miss Mary, we'll, we'll pin it for a summer topic. Um News and noteworthy. Like, here's... We, we used to call this trends, but I think it, it, the better face would be calling news and noteworthy. Uh, speaking of profanity-laced rants. <laughs> Cam, yeah. Tal- Cam Talbot won on this epic rant <laughs> right after the Arizona game. and it Epic was, for a goalie, I think. Like, I think epic for any NHL player. Yeah, I've it's never, true, it's true, I've it's never seen uh, somebody go on this kind of rant unless it was the playoffs. Um, this is... A, and especially against the NHL. Uh, if you haven't heard it, I'm sure you can find it somewhere. But he threw a couple of F-bombs out there. Um, I think four F-bombs in the span of So like, don't play it at work, basically. Yeah, Not safe for work. work. <laughs> NSFW. Um, but definitely calling out the NHL for his goaltender interference. Um, he had some really tough calls. You know, He, he mentioned it in the interview that uh, he could call for the LA game. Uh, which I thought was kind of a good goal. I think he was out of his crease. Um, but he got called in the Arizona game for the Dvorak thing. Um, and then Maroon, the Maroon uh, goal that was reversed uh, for what he thought was basically the same play. Um, so it was, for him, like, inconsistency is the name of the game here. And he uh, rightly called out the NHL and was very frustrated about it, very vocal about it, and not like... And he and he and he said like like I'm taking the fine I don't care like this is what's kind of happening. Yeah, it's interesting for me, I mean, because I was thinking about it on the way here, and thinking like, well, you know, no one in the NHL is allowed to say what he just said 
without getting um, completely roasted. Uh, right. Other than a goalie. Like, only a starting number one goalie on an NHL team would be allowed to criticize the review process one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, a lot of this the, the, this stems from the Oilers are 0-18 on coaches' challenges this year. Yeah. Um, or challenges in general. And, uh, and, and that's incredibly frustrating. And I think if there's one team that's borne the brunt of the fact that the NHL hasn't sorted this out, it's the Oilers. I mean, we did a podcast yeah, last, week. last week about this, yep. this whole conversation, right? Uh, so, I you know I like the tirade. I I, I think he um, it's obviously emblematic of a very frustrating season, and so take it with a grain of salt. But um, I think it's also worth recognizing and noting that the only person on my team that can make have the rant that he did was the is the goalie because the rule is designed to defend the goalie. Correct. And if that's not happening or not being applied right uh, in the right way, well. Yeah. Then we have an issue. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and like, and I think he is one of the many voices that are speaking out about this in formal and informal ways. And uh, I think something's got to be done soon. And uh, you know, okay, like, hold on one second on that though. Yeah, are we overhearing this message because we live in Edmonton and the team that we support has lost so many calls? Are you seeing it in it's other places? Place. In uh, like, is this conversation going on in Montreal? Is it going on in New York? Is it going on in Chicago? In other big hockey markets? So, for what I've heard, um, you know, Ryan Johansson did call out the NHL once about uh, I don't no, it was about suspension. Never mind, it wasn't about the goaltender interference. Um, goaltender interference specifically, it was the Jake Allen thing uh, down in Boston, Boston St. Louis game. Uh, I remember we think I, I think Jake Allen said something about that. Um, there was. See, that's the thing about being an Oilers fan, and especially in fandom in general, and I think you bring up a great point, is that we do kind of end up in this kind of echo chamber of, like, people just like, bah, 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 bah. So I, I usually go on, like, the Reddit hockey page and to see. That usually gives me a good gauge of, like, what are other teams thinking. No, I, and I, I wasn't supposing, like, trying to presuppose that no, I knew the answer it's to a it. good question. I, I don't know. It's a good question, because I think, like, that, that actual comment was was one of the hot hits on the Reddit hockey page, like on our hockey, um, the Cam Talbot's thing. And every, a lot of people besides other fans, because it's great in our hockey, you can actually put down what team you support uh, so you can see who is supporting who. Um, but you can say, like, you know, that was yes, 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 yes. And, like, a lot of people are saying the same I thing. So, I mean, fans, I feel like, are frustrated in general. And now it's come to a point where, like, players are calling out, ex-players are calling out, like, um, and so there's. I feel like there's something needs to be done. Nothing's going to happen until Nick Caprio says a hot take on review, though. Let's be honest here. All right, <laughs> what else happened this week? <laughs> well, speaking of ex-players um, <laughs> holding up rings, the 84-85 Oilers were celebrated uh, the best team Ugh. ever uh, by the NHL. And so, as the Oilers are wont to do, whatever, this is fine. You know what? They get voted. It's all cool. Like, this is a, is a fan vote. It's kind of fun. Um, celebrating their 100 years. NHL Can so- I just say something? Sure. Give me a sec. Let me, let me set it up for the, for the peeps first. Um, so, they, the Oilers, as they want to do, want to celebrate anything involving the 80s. Uh, so, they, they had this huge celebration. First of all, there was another celebration before the game, before the day before the Florida game. There was something going on there in, in uh, Rogers Place. And then they had... 
uh, a pregame ceremony for the Florida game to raise a banner <laughs> that said, vote best team, uh, best NHL team. And they brought up the whole team. Gretzky, Messier, Coffee was there. Everybody was there. Um, and just like, I don't, I, I don't know. It was just like, it's kind of a gong show around that. Ellie, go on. What were you going to say? Enough with the 80s celebration. <laughs> we get it. It was a dynasty. Yeah. You had three of the best four players in the league at the time. It was, You changed the game. You changed, rule, like changed rules to make sure that to try and limit your success. Yeah. It was cool. It doesn't appeal to anyone under the age of 35. Yeah, totally. Because no one under the age of 35 was alive when that happened. It's true. It's so, yay. I get it. It was a fan vote. It's this interesting thing. But this, like, and the amount of money and time that went into creating this celebration for a team that, yeah, okay, was voted online as the best team ever. Cool. Yeah. Um, because if you voted any team from the Montreal Canadiens' heyday, uh, you only half would show off because they're all dead. Yeah. So we'll show. Okay, that's a bit strong. That's a bit strong. That's no, a bit strong. Not. Go on. I just like no, as no, no. A, Montreal is also pretty bad at this nonsense too. So as as a fan and a longtime fan, but a fan that was born after the dynasty mm-hmm. of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's not even like I'm 18, like I'm 27. No, yeah. You know, like this kind of stuff for me, like having bringing the Stanley Cup and like Messier Gretzky carrying it out together, and then the entire team coming out, and and I, you know, I thought the Dave Semenko stuff was really classy. I, I, I really like that kind of. Yeah. I thought that was so. I, you know, I won't go as far to say the whole thing was terrible. Yeah. But like, it's just it doesn't appeal to. To people to that fans are under and, and the people that are going to be paying, you know, yeah. for seats in, in the future for the team, I, I, I get it. It was cool. They were a good team. Yeah. Um, it's been a bad year, so they probably punched up this ceremony a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just it's the kind of stuff that makes other hockey markets look at us and roll their eyes, just like many we used to to the Montreal teams. Yeah, for sure. And Montreal had a ridiculous celebration celebrating their hundred. Year two, they was it lasted legitimately like two years, um, but this whole thing, it, it was interesting because you saw on like Twitter and you saw on other places like a distinct generational divide as to what who liked this and who didn't like it, and you, exactly what it was. It was like anybody that was under the age of like thirty five was like meh, don't care, or like why are we doing this again? And over the age of 35, they're like, oh, my God, my heroes are back. Yeah. <laughs> um, they brought the cup home. Oh, jeez. Okay. So <laughs> I totally agree with this. And and speaking to somebody that is, like, and I mentioned this before, like, I didn't didn't start listening or watching or caring about hockey till I was, like, 14. And I that wasn't my dynasty. That, that would, they, Those weren't my players. Like. When they brought back... People, not all dynasties. Not not my dynasty. Yeah. Hashtag not my dynasty. Um, like w- when they brought people, I think when they closed down Rexall, when they brought people like uh, like the Ryan Smiths and the Bill Garrens and the, those people are like... Absolutely. Those were my peeps. That was an inclusive thing. Yeah. Curtis Joseph. you had those guys, yeah. those 80s guys, those 84 guys. And then you also had like Bill Guerin and, and, and Ryan mm-hmm. Smith and, and, and Curtis Joseph. Yeah. The guys that we grew up watching and yeah. cheering for. Totally. And it was like, it's funny because 
we still care. I still care so much about the '80s. I get it. They were a fantastic team. They're probably one of the best. They are the best of all time. But at the same time, I'm like, do we all forget that we went ten years without going to the playoffs? Did we for all forget that? Here's what we need to do: <laughs> special episode of the 104 podcast where we do an hour. Mm-hmm celebrating the Oilers Entertainment Group. Because them buying mm-hmm. in it, the Oilers and making sure that they didn't leave Edmonton 100%. was my winning the Stanley Cup. Totally. Totally. You know what? Summer episode. Been in on a summer episode. I've been <laughs> going to do that one. I, you know, I, I 100% agree with you. This should be that banner. That banner should be up. Um, all right. Speaking of people in ownership management, uh, Bob, Bob Nicholson, uh, knowing that uh, a little bit of heat surrounding the, the Oilers management came out with a statement stating what they were going to do. Well, you know, he did like a media availability. Yeah, it was a media availability. Yeah, you're right. It was a statement. Um, and so they asked him, like, what does the Oilers need? <laughs> Saying that the Oilers still need a number one defenseman or a, a top flight defenseman um, and also some scoring wingers and we on other things. So, obviously, people on Twitter, as they want to do... Um, they ripped on Nicholson for saying that we traded Taylor Hall and Jordan Everly, and we still don't have a number one defense. <laughs> yeah, see that that take is a is a pretty good one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, fair enough. Yeah. I, I mean, I think here's the thing around that: how many number one defensemen are there in the league? Would you say Not a whole lot? Could you say five? Carlson, see Carlson. Suban, Dowdy, Ekman Larson, Hedman, like you put Ekman Larson in there as number one oh, defenseman. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm there. I'm not sure I'm there, but I mean he's good and he's the best defenseman on their team. As the like best best ever defenseman. Yeah, like well like, not best ever. Like yeah, if oh, you like if the, you're the gonna say like like the top defenseman, like oh yeah, I see what you're saying. So I see what you're saying. go on. We know what it took to get PK Subban. Yeah, it was Shea Weber. Tri- yeah, well, Shea Weber. It ended up being Shea Weber, but uh, number one draft pick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Leon Draisaitl, yeah. Taylor Hall, right? So, um, would you? No one in their right mind would have taken that deal. No one would have taken that deal. It was Draisaitl. Yeah, Draisaitl, Pulyarvi. Well, that was Draisaitl, the number four. Yeah, and Nurse. And, and so Nicholson was saying something that is like one really difficult to achieve. And two, and then and then you have to have a team that's willing to trade one. Like, there's some talk that maybe Carlson wants out of Ottawa. Yep. And I think that's kind of maybe what he's hinting at. Um, but, you know, like, you have to have a team that's willing to trade it. You have to have the players and assets available to do that. And you have to, you know, be able to live with the consequences of that kind of a trade. Um, you know, Nashville did wonders did. And, and totally ripped off Montreal long they did. term. They, they really were, did. Uh, to get P.K. Subban. And... That's interesting, but like that doesn't happen. That's a once in a generation trade that's available, and yep. the Oilers were in on that. And our quote unquote Weber was like a huge, a bigger deal, right? Yeah, it really so, was. yeah, everyone wants a number one defenseman in the NHL. There are five of them available, mm-hmm. alive, no, not available, alive. There's maybe one that's available, and you have to pay for it. So I don't think Nicholson said anything that was wrong, and I and I think the idea of like were, were you gonna were you gonna box up Hall and Eberle and send it to another team like who wants two wingers 
with six million dollar contracts, and you know, like I, I get, I get the criticism, but I think that's really it's superficial because when you start going down into what he actually said compared to the criticism, calm down. Fair enough. Yeah, and I think I, not I, you, just the people. I, in I know what you mean. <laughs> um, I still think though that like, and I think the the player that the Oilers really really covered it is Ekman Larson, and I feel like. If, for instance, if there was a Taylor Hall for Ekman Larson deal, one to one, I don't think anybody would have complained. I think, and I think the Oilers would have been like, "Yeah, we got our number one." Guy. Yeah, but that would never have been the deal. No, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what Arizona is thinking, but um, fair enough. The Arizona they really covet Ekman Larson as they should, um, and they don't feel like trading for him, even though that there was like things that they were saying, even the Austin Matthews thing. Because they, they're like, no, we're not trading Ekman Larson for our, the number one to get Austin Matthews. Even though Austin Matthews would have been their homegrown talent and whatnot. But anyways, um, Nicholson is, I don't know. I think the only problem I have with that is that because we traded so many assets to try to get a defenseman of some kind and getting Aaron Larson, who's not a bad player. Um, but then getting the Griffin Reinhardt thing was, was, was a big loss. And, uh, we lost out on that, and um, so I'm curious of what the Oilers management is going to do forward, especially regarding those comments. So, but do we need any more defensemen? Do I think our defense? Okay, maybe Sekro starts to age a little bit. Yeah, I actually don't hate our defense. I really don't hate our defense, and yeah. I don't think our defense has been. I think this is the best defensive core that we've seen in probably 11 years. Yeah, as an organization, that's, that's not true. saying much. Yeah, <laughs> look how Nurse is developing. Yeah, Clefbaum was injured for a big part of this season, so it looked like he was taking a step back when it actually looked like he was pretty hurt. And and he seems to be doing well now. Larson, you know, tough year, but not. It's been pretty good. Obviously, I've certainly noticed him not being part of the team. Russell and the contract and the block shots is a whole other conversation. But if you're talking, if you're talking about four other defensemen ahead of Russell, that's exactly where you'd want to be. Young. Stable, hard-nosed, tough defenseman. Are we getting the goals in the, from the back end that we'd want? No, but no. I think that's that the comes thing. with age. I think that's the thing. And defensemen don't, don't, don't. They, they're not eighteen and good. They're not nineteen and good and twenty and good like forwards are. That, that's that, that's a difference. It takes a different kind of person and and, and and development to to get to a good defenseman. I think the Oilers are well on their way with that. Yeah. And there's stuff. There's options in, in the farm too. Yep. So. Do they need a number one? Well, everyone needs a number one, unless you're L.A. I think Phoenix, Nicholson was saying about, the, about the, the offensive defenseman thing that you were talking. About. That's what they're looking at. I think yeah, that's and what that's what—that's the difference between a two and a one. Yeah. That's the difference between potentially an, where I think Nurse could end up and a PK Subban. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Or uh, you know, so that's the and and that's fair. I I, I can I can see that. I think Clefbaum's got a sick shot. He does, and he's got a you know a hurt shoulder. He kind of regressed this year, but I think it has to do with the injury, and it has to do with a lot of that stuff. So I'm very, and a lot of people were saying maybe we should shut down Clefbaum for the rest of the year, and I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with them because I think that's like uh, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. Like get that thing healed up, and uh, hopefully it works from there. Yeah, I mean, uh, and we're not medical professionals, and we're not mm-hmm. in the room, so we're not really sure how hurt he is. And yeah. He seems to be playing better recently. I think he needed a rest, and they pushed him because they were still in the playoff hunt. I think if he's fine now, he's fine now. Yeah, maybe. I don't think they'd be pushing him if he wasn't. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right about that. Um, the next 
thing about that is speaking of Larson, Larson's back. Um, so we're glad to see him back. He took a, a long uh, stay to take care of his family or his dad's uh, passing. So, um, so oh. you didn't see any of the stuff in, in you didn't see the air. No, I didn't see that. No. So what the others did, uh, and and then Sportsnet during their coverage, it was took a long time to talk about the break between. Uh, or it, it took a long time in the break between the first and second period to talk about um, Adam Larson and returning to his team, what happened with his father, um, including some really interesting and, and I thought um, strong comments from his friend on the team, Oscar Clefbaum. Oh, nice. Uh, fellow Swede, obviously, so mm-hmm. there's a connection there. They've, they, they might, they've apparently developed a, a kind of relationship. And... Um, you know, it was one of those things that after a tough week, the others are losing on another first period goal. It was easy to be really mad at the team and and frustrated with the season in general. As a fan, I really appreciated um, yeah. the way that and the tact in which the organization has uh, handled this situation. I agree. I'm Even giving uh, you know Adam Larson any amount of time that he needs to go and see. Um, he took a long do, break. Yeah, he took a long, he took break, a long break and a good and a smart break mm-hmm. and. Um, not too long ago, we were uh, talking and having a really honest conversation about mental health and yeah. mental health awareness in Edmonton, but also in the NHL. Um, and the this is what it this is the price. This is what it takes to do to deal with difficult mental health situations as an organization and uh, as an employer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, good on the Oilers and uh, the NHL for. Doing what I think was right. You could tell, you know, Adam Larson is still hurting. He doesn't really want to talk about the situation. Yeah, I mean, um, you, you, it was very evident even in his interview. But I thought it was really well done and and made me proud to be an Oilers fan despite, uh, you know, some of the other issues I have with the team. It really, <laughs> it really like, I think the issues like this and especially when you see issues that happen outside of the actual um, ice that brings... It brings like the player's humanity into focus, which is really cool. Like you forget that, like yeah, these people are human. These people are, uh, you know, have their have their own feelings and situations going on at home or going on wherever. Um, so you know, like the incidents with like Brian Boyle and him battling through cancer, and like even like the thing last year with uh, Craig Anderson and his wife. Um, Absolutely, those those are very human moments, and I think the Adam Larson thing was a human moment too. And I, <laughs> I usually don't, I'm usually not good at like the media saying something good about the media, but this one I'm going to give him some props for for uh, throwing that attention out to that and and having that honest conversation, especially with Oscar Clefbaum, a good friend, um, and kind of put it into focus and how important that is. So good on them for doing that. That's really yeah, cool. totally yeah. So the last where credits do right exactly That's what the one hundred four pods all about. That's what we're about. Um, so yeah, Larson's back. And Montoya got hurt during practice, so Al Montoya is being hurt. Um, that's what you saw Laurent Persuas backing up Talbot, and I think this is the reason why you see we're watching the Colorado game and Talbot is in the pipes. Um, this is probably why you're seeing him playing a back to back because uh, Montoya's hurt. Yeah. Um, hopefully, it's I think it's like a cut, so it's not like like a. It's not a terrible long term injury, but. I'm between back-to-backs, and it's not like a... His face is just split open. <laughs> it's not a big deal. It's just, just his nose. Who needs that? It's, you can stop shots. If this that. happened to me, it would be like a calamity. 
<laughs> NHL player split open cheek, whatever. No, legitimately though. Speaking of injuries, like when 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 NHL players like hurt themselves and they're just like, oh, I have a sprained ankle, and they're like, oh, I'm out for a week or two days or whatever. Like a sprained ankle or like a broken ankle to me would have <laughs> been like, suck. It, it hurts. It's a, it's it's a, a year long thing for me where I'm just like, oh my god, my ankle. <laughs> Like limping in the morning and like, oh, yeah, no, it's it's hilarious how we just like the, the, the difference. And, you know, the, the, there's a lot of things that show like the difference in expectation around like ourselves versus the people that we watch play sports. But injuries are a particularly good one to like mm-hmm. think about. Right. It really brings like, it back Like in. Sekiro like busted open his knee and is like back in January. And like I've got a buddy that's like going through a very similar injury right now. And. It's terrible and it sucks and it's yeah. it like a real. It has a real like life impact on you. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we we lose that because we just like take them off our fantasy team and put them on IR or whatever. You know, it's true. But there's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, and the last thing I kind of wanted to mention. This is nothing to do with the Oilers, but I think it's kind of funny. And, I, and I'm, I'm just one thing like Garth Snow um, not having the best season over in by the New York Islanders. So the fans. Uh, decided to make up a GoFundMe page um, to raise money to put up a billboard that says "Snow Must Go," and it had to be put it right outside Barclays Center. Um, and so they raised money to do this. It's like two thousand dollars, and they raised more than that. Uh, and they said they were going to donate this fund to a charity or whatever. <clears throat> but <laughs> the funny thing is, I'm just like, I am absolutely surprised that no Oilers fan has done this yet. <laughs> <laughs> this is just shocking to me. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Garth Snow has been the GM of the Islanders since um, God I was born, basically. Yeah. <laughs> since the great team of 1985 in Edmonton. <laughs> At least it feels like that. Um, and the team has not done a lot, despite having... Probably one of the best players in the league that just goes yeah. so unnoticed. Yeah. Um, oh, John Tavares? Yeah, and Tavares. <laughs> like, like, actually. Speaking of, see, you, <laughs> this is another thing of, like, like don't let don't let people have, like, absolute control. Garth Snow was going to draft Matt Duchesne over John Tavares in that draft, which is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> like, I can't, why, why would well, that? Well, when you think about that, too, like, how would that have changed the league? Oh, my imagine gosh. Imagine how that would have changed Imagine, the imagine. I, I had to go look back to that draft to see like who was second. But anyways, anyways, like I'm, we had Oilers. We have like jersey throwing. That's our thing. I'm I just, think. I find it hard as a fan to like justify the anger when you get like when you think about the Eberle trade this year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I get kind of what they're saying in terms of the team's been bad for a long time, and they're they've had money issues, and obviously they keep. Like, it seems like in every every. Uh, 13 seconds they're playing out of a new arena on another island somewhere around New York right. but um, yeah like I don't know this is just how Garth Snow works sometimes <laughs> he's like either the smartest guy in the room or the dumbest guy in the room and yeah yeah, it's funny I'm just looking at it John Tavares went first Beck Hedman went second and Duchesne went third um, if they would have picked Matt Duchesne uh, and then Tampa Bay would have had a really really tough decision to make because I think they wanted Hedman, but I don't well, know. Been, yeah, just like you think How about do these kind of like these like what if scenarios around the draft. <laughs> if like this guy went this way and this guy went that way, and you're insane. like insane. Uh, yeah. Anyways, um, the last thing we wanted to do, actually, you know what? Let's take a small break. We're going to talk about trade speculations, 
uh, because it is coming time. The trade deadline's coming up pretty soon. Uh, so we're, we're having talk, a segment. We're having a little small Dead little segment. Deadline debate on the 104 podcast. <laughs> trade deadline's coming up pretty quickly here thing we have two more two more of our episodes before the trade deadline happens so this one and then one next one um so we're going to talk about um unrestricted trade situations something like we our unrestricted players um and uh, i think we're going to decide if we if we want to trade or sign them or what might happen with these guys so first thing first one up mark latesto yeah, I think Latesto is an interesting conversation. It's too bad he didn't, he's not, didn't have the year last year that he's having this year because I think he'd bring in a lot more value. Totally. I don't see the Oilers re-signing him. No. I think there's a lot of players like him in the NHL. Um, uh, that sort of 34 center, decent in defensive situations. Totally. This totally. year notwithstanding. Uh, still has the capacity to score. Well, you saw that last year, but I, I think that was uh product of a Oilers team with a little bit of magic and, and, and a little bit, a little bit of luck, a little reality. bit of swagger. Um, On the downside, I, I, I mean, I think, you know, I think he's probably going to go. I don't think you expect to go for much. Mm-hmm. Depends what the market's like. If we got a second out of him, I'd be really thrilled. I'd be thrilled. Um, if we got a third or a fourth, I think I'd be, uh, you know, right, be, we're, we're right around where I think he'd go. Yeah. And a five or a six, I'd, I'd figure that there was probably a lot of players like him available and there wasn't a lot of value at all. The good thing with Latestu is that um, he can play he's a pretty versatile player that he can play on the PK and he can play on the, the power play um, and he is he's very good at faceoffs. He is a he could be a really good complementary piece on a team that's successful I'm thinking of, of uh, teams like Pittsburgh teams like Washington. Yeah just like you know he doesn't even have to necessarily be part of the flow of the team. Mm-hmm. He can sit in the press box throughout the playoffs, fill in for injuries. Maybe there's a certain matchup that you really like. Uh, you yep. know, to him like against like another three, four smaller center on the opposite opposition's team. You know, I think there's some value there. I totally agree, and I think out of any one of these people that we're going to mention, I think Latestu is, I think the most likely going to be traded. I think a lot of a lot of teams could use Latestu. Um, and we could get some sort of value. I think a third would be match for a good match for Latestu. Um, the next one up is our boy, which is going to be an interesting one. Uh, what are your thoughts about Pat Maroon? Do you think we're going to trade him or sign him? Um, yeah, it, it, it's. Uh, I'm going to take a pause here because I, I don't know that I've made up my mind mm-hmm. either way about Patrick Maroon. Some insane successes. Um, and a, a bit of a tough year this year with the Edmonton Oilers, as everyone has had. Yeah. Um, the issue always is, what is Maroon looking for? Is he looking for a Chris Russell 4x4? Four four? Is he looking for, is he going to try and push that up to 5 for over 4 years? 5 million over 4 years? I don't think he's worth that. Um, do the Oilers want a four-year deal? Would they want a two-year deal with maybe a little bit more money? I think that there's a lot of questions around the future of Patrick Maroon in Edmonton in terms of what he wants and what the team is actually able to do because they also have a twelve and eight million dollar contract going on the books this year too. Yeah, coming up right. Yeah, um, and as an unrestricted free agent, like 
you can get some insane value from Patrick Maroon, I think, yeah, I in think the so trade deadline, and then still have the opportunity to sign him. Yeah. In the year out, and so I'm sort of been on the fence of if you like Patrick Maroon, great. Um, send him to a team that's going to make the playoffs. Watch him like a hawk in the playoffs to see if he's got that uh, capacity to 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 make that change, yep. and then make a d- d- decision in the off season of whether or not you want to hire, uh, sign him or not. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, Patrick Moon can bring a lot of value to a lot of teams, and I think he's the type of player that a lot like the Oilers would have coveted and would have wanted to keep if the Oilers were good. Um, I think if the Oilers were having a much better season or the season that everyone expected them to have, then I feel like we would have seen maybe some negotiations to, to sign him. But I just don't think that he is worth the money, like a five mil. Like, I think that would be too much for him. I think that was that was, that was just me pulling yeah. a number out no, of my No, 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 and I, and, I, and I totally understand where you're coming from. Because I, I don't, you're right, I don't know what Maroon but wants. But it's term, too. That's yeah. the other thing as well for me. And that's a big question. And I, and I agree that I think that his his value is going to decrease now. It's not going to increase anymore. I think it, right now it's at the highest it will be, maybe. Maybe if he had a better season this year, it would be highest. But um, I just, I, I do... I personally would want to try to trade him for a younger, uh, maybe an any, like an like a, a team that has a lot of uh, depth forward, and maybe take take a flyer on a younger player, a younger complementary player. Um, you know, people are saying Tampa Bay has a lot of riches there, or people like um, like even like somebody like like who's like uh, taking a flyer on a on a player like like Josh Horsang, for instance, who's not doing so well. In New York, um, but I don't know. You never and know. There's always the option to sign him in the in the off season. Absolutely, if you really want him, if we really try to at least negotiate with him. But uh, I don't know. It's hard to see too. Uh, what Mike Camilleri? Uh, I think Camilleri's gone. I, I, I mean, I, I, what's interesting? What'll be interesting to see is like, do the others get anything for him? Maybe some team wants like uh, Mark Lachestu. Maybe has some interest in him. Are they, uh, I wonder if the others are going to be able to get rid of both Mark Letestu and, and Camilleri. Um, but I foresee in the future a very hilarious 104 podcast where we're talking about how Camilleri from X team is playing against Letestu from X team that both got Oilers like three, four uh, line players. <laughs> you know what's going to happen? It'll be like the Stanley Cup Finals, and it sucks that <laughs> it sucks that we that we have to dump both of them because I think it's actually going to decrease the value on both of them because it just kind of shows to you like how those players are accessible, right? At the deadline, and, yeah, I agree. I agree. I totally agree. And I think with Mike Camilleri, yeah, you know, if, if it was between Latesto or Camilleri, I, I, if I was a team, I'd definitely go for Latesto or Camilleri. And uh, um, Camilleri is a little bit older, and. Uh, I don't know what more value that he can bring, but he's still a useful player, and he's still somebody that, like I said, a complimentary winger that a lot of and like Stanley Cup contenders might want. Just uh, think about DeHarnay last year. You didn't mm-hmm. see him until you saw him. You saw him once. It was a big game. It was a big goal. Probably won the clinch the series. It was a big piece of that first series against San Jose when right. um, the Oilers won that game. DeHarnay was there because the Oilers gave up a third or whatever to get him. Mm-hmm. Or no, Brandon Davidson. Brandon Davidson. And then we got him back. Uh, and then we got him back. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's kind of the same thing. Uh, what about Johan Ovitu? 
I have been really enjoying the play of a V2. Me too. Um, particularly in the last little bit, since he got sent down and then came back. I actually think he's a player that you kind of want to look to sign. I agree. Um, I think <laughs> he's earned there. a contract. Not a huge one. Probably a two-way. Um, but in terms of having adding some sort of like offensive flair to the Edmonton Oilers in terms of, uh, from their defensive um, zone, like he, there's a lot of upside with him there. Yeah. Uh, we're a long ways away from trying to play him at wing like we did. <laughs> but... God. <laughs> but... Um, I think it's a player that's worth hanging on to and trying to make a deal right away here. I agree. And I think that he is a player that can be had for cheap. And also, the Oilers are in severe lack of depth in a lot of places. And we can't afford to keep letting these people, these young players, or maybe somebody with a little bit more upside that he could. Avita could be very, potentially be a very good, useful player for the Oilers. And I think. We would we we could be better to try to keep these players. These players don't really come too often, uh, where you find that they're very useful. Actually, you never know; they could be come often. But, but at the same time, it's like I don't know. He's a player that I, he's played all right with the Oilers, and I feel like we and he's gotten keep him. better. He's yeah. gotten better on a tough team, a tough team to get better on, a, yeah. a, a, a bad team basically this year. Yeah, um, ups and downs for sure. Some like really brutal uh, defensive mistakes early on in the season yes. that got pegged on him, obviously. Um, yeah. But that you know, we're sitting here in February, thinking he might be worth taking another flyer contract on some sort of yeah. bridge deal, and he'd be cheap to um, have. And I think he'd be, he'd cheap, be cheap, to cheap, to, cheap to have. So why not? I think he's earned it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's what we have for Latesta Maroon, Cameron Larry, and Beach. So next week we're gonna talk about uh, people that are on the trade block that are not unrestricted free agents. We'll see if we want to keep them or not. So cool. we're gonna take a break. We're gonna talk about our big topic coming up. The big topic for today is revolves around an incident that that happened yesterday. So we're recording on the 18th. No, what's the date today? Sure, 18th. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's the 18th. <laughs> okay. Um, Devontae Smith Pelly. March. <laughs> God, did we win the draft? <laughs> uh, Devontae Smith Pelly um, was involved in an incident in Washington. He's a Washington Capitals player. He was playing against Chicago. Um, and he was in a penalty box. And a couple of fans, I think it was two or three fans, that were chanting. It was in Washington? No, it was in Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it was in Chicago that a bunch of fans were chanting uh, basketball to him. Basically indicating that he should be playing basketball. Now, if you've never seen Devontae smith Pelly, he's a big black man. Uh, and he obviously didn't take this lightly uh the nhl didn't take this lightly the chicago blackhawks didn't take this lightly um, the flag got kicked out um but it kind of it's a, one of those things that, that that shows that there is this culture of racism which obviously i mean like the u.s has a culture of racism and canada does have their culture of racism as well um but i think hockey does play into it just from the the makeup of of that uh of who they are, um, there was a, you know, there's been a lot of different instances about racism, but we kind, I think NHL and especially their their fans kind of tend to like skirm the topic. They don't really like go really deep into it. They just kind of like skittle and say, "This is terrible. We don't like this, and that's all we're gonna do." That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess my question is that first of all, do you think that there is 
um, a culture of subtle racism in hockey? I mean, I don't know enough. I'm not on the ice. I'm not in the dressing room. I'm not at the management table. I'm not privy to any sort of examples mm-hmm. or uh, any better understanding than the, than the other, like another fan. But we spend a lot of time talking about trying to get a number one defenseman and what the value of that was. And I think that the trade, given what happened with P.K. Subban, was a racialized situation in Montreal. I think so, too. And I think it's sort of everyone who follows hockey knows that. People in the organizations in the, in the professional area get that. So it's very difficult to say that there isn't a, an issue, a culture of racism in the league if that situation exists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the public perceptions of Pico Subban and so on and so on and so on. Um, so, number one, I'm going to say that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not informed enough to say for sure. Yeah, but I totally. think that, when you know, take, looking at just that example, um, it's tough to say that there isn't. And, yeah. and justify that sort of... And then maybe it's a one-off, maybe it's not. We've seen other racist, racist practices in um, NHL. I remember there's a player who was taking a penalty shot during an exhibition game, had a banana thrown at him. Yep. He was black. Um, I think Jordan Tutu has spoken a little bit about this as well, yes. being an indigenous player. Um, the fact that there are very few indigenous hockey players, despite making up... Uh, a portion of Canada's yeah. uh, population, and, and, and that's another piece of this as well. And so that speaks to maybe not the NHL, but the greater NHL, uh, like hockey complex in general. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is just me a long-winded way of saying I don't know, and I'm not going to pretend to know. And I think when people start to pretend to know things on issues like this, it's where you start to get into trouble. Yeah, and that's what I'm very curious as, and and I'm, and I'm I don't know if I'm worried about it, but I'm like. Like, there's people like Jujar Kaira, you know, um, the Oilers were almost famous for uh, employing a lot of black athletes for and the Oilers. And still are. Still yeah. are. Very, yeah, very, in terms of diver- very diverse. See, this is the thing. Are the Oilers very diverse? They've got two players of color. Yeah. And they are one of the most diverse teams on the league. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the way we think about that, too, and it's, like, I remember when we talked about the whole thing about the dynasty eras, and then the 90s Oilers, um, even the late 90s Oilers, were very, uh, very diverse in the sense of, like, we had people like Anson Carter, uh, we had Mike Greer. On George LaRock. George LaRock. Yeah. Um, you know, right now it's Darnell Nurse and Jujar Kaira. Um, but even then, like, I think Kalki culture, in a, in a sense, can be very racist. And I think it's not, like, not very racist. I would say, like, in a sense that, there, it's it's some sort of subtle racism, and I think it because involves because of the fact that um, there's a lot of white kids that play hockey, and I don't think it has anything. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that in the, in the sense that, but I think I think that hockey has a responsibility to take a little bit more of minority players, um, I, from what I know. And this is and like and I, and, I, and I appreciate you saying that, Elliot, that it was. Like from our instances that we we're not NHL players, we have no idea. We you know like people like Darnell Nurse and Jura Kyra don't really talk about these kind of things. Um, but I remember growing up as a kid, and I used to play hockey like street hockey with a lot of um, East Asian players. Um, 
and they were from India, they were from Pakistan, they were from all these places. And it's interesting to know that, and Jujar Car is one of the first ones that I've seen. I'm surprised that there isn't any more. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, and our- it's funny because I think there's a there's a, a incoming generation because uh, the Punjabi broadcast in CBC is yeah. something that's like really taken off and is really. Um, you know, getting some notoriety, obviously, Benino, 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 Benino. But also, awesome. I love that um, you know, that's really, it's really important that, like that, that, that accessibility inspires opportunity. Yeah. And uh, the NHL being more accessible through the CBC uh, to East Asian individuals. Totally. Is, I think you'll see a lot more Kairas um, in the next generation of hockey I would, players i would hope so and you know they and the cbc did a really good um segment one game uh highlighting juju kaira and um the, the things that he brought up and and even place even people like pk suban pk suban you know carl suban was just in edmonton recently um talking about how he brought up his kids in the culture that he didn't really know anything about hockey there's from he was from jamaica um so he he got them into hockey um, because he thought he really liked the game and um, he wanted to get them introduced into Canadian culture. Um, but now the three of their three of the sons are NHL players. Um, at the same time, I like incidents like the Devontae Smith Pally incident really like it, I, I really would love to see the hockeyist for everybody being a little bit more um, than just these stickers or anything like that. I think that there needs to be some sort of yeah. It seems like lip service sometimes, you know what I mean? No, totally. And I think that oftentimes it is lip service. So this is inappropriate. We won't stand for this. Let's kick the fan out. Let's do this. Let's do that. It's interesting. I, I, I think when you're think, talking about the NHL, the only fair comparison are other professional sports leagues in North America. So we've seen some race uh, incidences of uh, racial uh, vitriol and attack mm-hmm. in baseball. Yes, in the last couple of years, sure. um, and uh, a demonization of uh, of Hispanic players in in, in MLB that's yep. been that's been sort of part of that for a while. At the same time, the NBA is a league that's mostly made up of black players, players and has yep. done a lot of work around empowering black black athletes and empowering that and not and, and having a zero tolerance policy around certain languages. Football very similar. Yeah. Um, to baseball, I would say, in terms of issues around the flag and that that kind of thing. However, here in Canada, in the CFL, uh, they've banned the use of the N word on the field. Right, uh, it's an automatic unsportsmanlike penalty, and it's a t- it's a ten yard offense. Right, uh, and I think that that's interesting as well too. And I wonder if those sorts of rules exist. Is there, you know, again, I'm not privy to the mm-hmm. ice. Is there an unspoken code around? Racialized language. Do players not use it anymore? I think that they don't. I think that the chirping, uh, chirping is chirping and getting in people's head. And you can tell someone they're a garbage player and they don't belong in the league, um, but you can't use a racial slur. Uh, yeah, and, and and that's an unwritten code. But I think it, it, officials enforce it as well. Yeah, um, and just just to add on to that, I think that there's an, there's an understanding of that because I remember a game this year, in fact, where something happened. You could tell. Someone said something to um, Zach Cassian, mm. and I don't, I don't really remember the team or the player, and that doesn't really matter. Um, and Zach Cassian went after that person, and then told the ref and had a conversation with the referee, 
and Zach Cassian didn't get a penalty. Mm. And the coach of the opposition was furious until the referee came over and said what happened. And it seemed as though there was something said there uh, around perhaps his past. I don't want to. Yeah, 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 no, I yeah. think that there is a bit of an unwritten code around that. And I think those that, that applies for racial slurs as well. well. That's great. That's I mean, that's good to hear. And I think that's like... Um yeah, I wonder if the the players kind of police themselves around that, and I think it's becoming now that it's that it, everything's kind of up in the fold. And you know, like Barry Trotz, right after the Devontae Smith Pelly incident, had a really passionate response to that to say like this is not acceptable. I can't believe somebody would do this. Like I'm protecting my player, but this is ridiculous. Um, so I, I I think I agree with you that I think this generation is a lot more uh, well versed in that kind of uh, topic. I'm also worried about like <laughs> the the political structure that it is in the U.S. and the political yeah, and that's certainly like, having an impact on us as well too, yeah. right? And I think it's also at the same time like I think it was a terrible sign that every other sports team championship team is making the decision not to go to the White House and there was Sidney Crosby poster no boy problem. for the league no and, and, and the Pittsburgh Penguins yeah. uh, front and center with Donald Trump who has made racialized. Uh, statements in the past, and, and yeah. many people of color believe to be vehemently racist. Yeah. Um, as a business owner and as a president, I'll add. Yeah. So that I think is is another side to this as well. There's 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 sort of like the league, the players, the fans. There's a number of different aspects. It's difficult to say that like it's one way or another. I think there are there are varying degrees of how woke quote-unquote, the yes. NHL and hockey is. <laughs> um, but there's also different sort of categories that you have to do that. And that goes beyond just the NHL itself. What are, what are the institutions in Canada, for example, the greatest hockey player-producing um, nation in the world? And, and how do we? how is there racism there? What, what, what do you think yeah. it took for you know, Carl Subban to get into the old boys league uh, of... Of hockey, right? Yeah. Um, and do 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 people of color have a similar experience when their kids aren't as good as his kids are? Correct. Um, yeah. Let's not talk about accessibility and cost, which we're going to have a serious conversation of as a, as a big that, topic. Yeah, yeah. We, it's one of the ones that we highlighted. Um, how does that impact uh, racialized families in Canada as well? There's huge. There, there's so many questions around this too, and I think what's important is what we're doing right now, and what you did by bringing this topic up. Is just by doing that exactly, yeah. and yeah, and it's and I think it's really important to, you know, I brought this up once in, on Twitter and saying about talking about hockey culture, and I mentioned how um, hockey culture feeds this sort of well, it feeds a lot of things, good, good things, and also things like nepotism. It feeds like, um, you know, I mentioned uh, Canadian exceptionalism. Um, but also feeds a little bit of racism. What, can you, I just called us the greatest hockey produ- player-producing nation in exactly. the world. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, oh, no, I, I, I haven't just drank the that Kool-Aid on that one. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but then, uh, you know, I, I had a conversation with a fan, like a person that was, like, like talking back with me, and we actually had a really good conversation. Um, it was a weird non... It was a weird good Twitter conversation. Um, and he... He says he didn't, like, you know, he's like, I personally haven't seen racism. He said, you know, like, I I think there's a racist culture for sure. There's people who are racist in the world. But I think all cultures and feedback. I was like, yeah, I don't know if you do it. Maybe it is something that we don't see. Maybe as a, as a non-visible minority, I don't see it either. I'm always asking the question. It's like, what, like, the visible minorities, what do you guys see? 
and I don't know if there was, there's a space for that conversation yet. And I think hockey culture is one of those places that breeds this kind of like, let's not be controversial. And I think that's the problem right now is that we don't have these conversations because we're worried about not being controversial. But I would love to see. Uh, I think PK Subban is getting better at that, and I think I would love to see what other what other players of color yeah. are, are. What are their thoughts on this? Maybe maybe we're way off. Maybe we're totally off. Uh, on this, but we just haven't heard them, and I would love for them to hear that. Well, and I think a lot of this is motivated by actions of fans and mm-hmm. fandom in the NHL. Um, and, you know, and, and and that's obviously inappropriate and and, and, and terrible. Um, but it's very difficult outside of the situation in Montreal with Pico Subban to name institutional racism or the cause of that. Uh, you have to, you know, and not to suggest it doesn't exist. But it's very difficult to define and, yeah. and recognize. And it even took us a while to sort of put our finger on, on, on the actions of Mo- the Montreal Canadiens and P.K. Subban. And I think that that's, but I think that that's also really important because that obviously exists. Yeah. And is emblematic of something going on. And, you know, for our listeners, spend a little bit of time digging into P.K. Subban's final couple of years in Montreal. Yeah. Um, and many many uh, Montreal Canadiens fans will tell you, uh, especially now, that they've... Sure largely seen the trade as a debacle um, can give you some really great insight into what went on there I think that's an important piece as well I totally and that's agree. in Canada yeah and a Canadian institution and you know I mean Quebec is like the, its own different beast yeah it's, it's a whole different beast I get that <laughs> but I think it's important to recognize that that's Canadian and a Canadian institution uh, the Montreal Canadiens is, is equivalent to I think the value of the Edmonton Eskimos oh yeah um, uh, in the CFL yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, I think this is a great conversation, and I think that's something that we can keep continue on having um, outside of this podcast. So I would encourage everybody to have this conversation around our podcast, this podcast. And uh, maybe the question is on Twitter, do you think the NHL is doing enough to help the um, players of color? Uh, maybe a yes or no type of question on Twitter. What do you think? Yeah, something like that, or yeah. yes or no around you know uh, racism. Yeah, doing enough to address racism in, in hockey culture. Yeah, I think so too. Um, thanks everyone for uh, for sticking around and listening to us. Uh, we appreciate all the all the cool feedback. Everyone voting on our polls, and uh, um, if you want to give us some, give us a shout, like please hit us up on Twitter. Um, it's at one o four pod. Um, or you can find us on Twitter as well, too. Elliot, you're at, at Tantieg. Is that correct? At Y-E-G. Y-E-G. And I'm at uh, German, not German. So you can find me on there. Probably ranting at David Staples. Um, <laughs> so let it, hit us up. Tell us what you think about the, about the episode. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening and paying attention. And if you're on iTunes, please give us a review. Give us a description. Um, please rate us five stars. Give us a comment. Uh, we would love that. It, it really increases our visibility. Herman, incredibly handsome. Elliot, could be better on the show at being on time. <laughs> radio, radio face. <laughs> Little call me. Um, have a wonderful week, everyone. We'll see you next time on the 104 Podcast. <laughs>